0: Hello, good morning, and welcome to the number one result on Google for autonomous cars podcasts. This is Autonomous Cars with Mark Hoag, the only weekly podcast on autonomous cars in the world. Today, 22nd of January, 2019, episode 76. We talk mobility for the elderly and disabled, thanks to an incredibly deeply inspiring email submitted by one of our listeners. We do some Q&A from listener-submitted questions, and we talk liability for the new age of micromobility in the form of autonomous scooters. All this, right now. But first, don't forget to follow us on all the social networks. At Autonomous Hogue. That's on Facebook, Twitter, and now even Instagram. That's A-U-T-O-N-O-M-O-U-S-H-O-A-G. Autonomous Hogue. All right, so to kick things off today, I want to talk about mobility, and I mean mobility in the sense of the elderly, the disabled, or those who are just simply unfit or unwell or otherwise just don't want or cannot drive from A to B, uh, or for that matter, even walk from A to B. Uh, obviously, this is a really big deal. It's an aspect of life that autonomous vehicles certainly promise to improve, Um and certainly if you Google it, there's a massive amount of information to read on this, but but I just feel like it's not the sort of thing that kind of bubbles up in your news feed every single day. It's just, it just isn't, um, right? So, so I want to kind of change that a bit um, by sharing with you a deeply, incredibly, profoundly inspiring email that I received from a listener uh, with his blessings. I have permission to share with you uh, his story and indeed his name. Uh, so here goes. Um, so... It begins with a very short note, simply uh, from a listener whose name is David New. Uh, he's, he writes to me, uh, I am totally blind and already rely fully on others to transport me everywhere I go. Um, and uh, he says he's behind the autonomous revolution because it eliminates discrimination in transportation. And he'd like to bring autonomous vehicles to Miami Beach, uh, where he lives, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, so anyway, I responded, of course, and thanks so much for reaching out, etc. cetera. Um, I then got a hugely, uh, detailed, incredibly lengthy reply, uh, which I'd like to share with you now because this absolutely took my breath away. So, uh, I'm going to be reading sort of paraphrasing paraphrasing segments for you. So, uh, David says, look, he's 48 years old. He lives in South beach, Florida. He lost his sight 18 years ago at the age of 30 from an eye disease. And at the same time, he also lost his hearing and became paralyzed from the waist down. He says, it has been a long road to recovery, but I have regained my hearing for the most part and learned how to walk again. Since then, I have become a disability rights advocate in the in my city of Miami Beach and have initiated efforts which have resulted in progress that have had ripple effects around the globe. So David goes on to explain that he has launched and currently runs two humanitarian organizations. So the first is called Access Now. That's it. ADA so so uh, ADA worg So he describes it as an advocacy organization that ensures entities in the. US are compliant with the American with Disabilities Act, that's ADA. Uh, the second organization, because you know one just isn't enough, uh, is called Power Access and that's found at poweraccess.org. Uh, so they produce events to create awareness about people living with disabilities. And yes, third and certainly not least, Mr. New is also starting now the fourth year of an event uh, called the South Beach Jazz Festival. You can find this at Sobejazz.com, that's s o b e dot com, uh, which features apparently Grammy Award winning musicians with disabilities. He is also the founder, yep, there is more, he is also the founder of the Miami Beach Council of the Blind and a member of the Miami Beach Disability Access Committee, that's the DAC. Uh, It's a committee of the mayor through which uh, Mr. New was instrumental in bringing audible pedestrian signals, that's APS, to the region. Right, so that is a properly and justifiably lengthy introduction for david new uh which i mean this as i say this just totally blew me away this was deeply moving to read all this i mean here's a gentleman at the age of just 48 years old who lost his eyesight at the age of 30 and his hearing and became paralyzed has managed to teach himself to uh to walk again can hear a little bit is still blind has nevertheless gone on to found two organizations for the advancement of people with disabilities, a third, which is jazz for Grammy award-winning artists with disabilities and has started the Miami beach council of the blind. Uh, and is a member of the Miami beach disability access committee, um, and i mean this is just absolutely astounding right and and so what he what he goes on to explain to me is that after he lost his eyesight of course the greatest loss he experienced thereafter was of course the inability to drive uh, obviously as he says driving symbolized my freedom in so many ways and relying on friends and wonky transportation services was always counterproductive to my independent lifestyle so this goes on and on for quite a bit, and uh, you know, I would happily read it all to you. But, 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 in the interest of your of your time, I just want to kind of paraphrase here that the, the point is, um, you know, if ever there was a just an incredibly obvious use case, and indeed a perfect demonstration for the need to fast track autonomous vehicles, not to let them get sort of hindered by all sorts of red herrings, trolley paradox. I'm looking at you, um, but rather to bring them to market as quickly as possible. Um, if ever there was a spokesperson for this argument, it is surely Mr. David New in South Beach. Um, I, I'd like to kind of wrap this up because you know uh, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this other than to shed light on this incredible story and to bring awareness to his organizations that he has founded and indeed currently leads. Um, but I want to close the segment out with sort of an open call to all of you listening. Uh, we need some introductions, if you please. We need some introductions to some really important people. And don't do this for me. Certainly, I will appreciate it. I, I will. <laughs> but but do this because David New is asking for these introductions. So here we go. David New would like introductions to the folks over at Ford. So as you may know from a previous segment, Ford's Argo.ai is actually testing. Uh, I believe they're Ford Tauruses that are kitted out with autonomous vehicle tech. They're testing them. Uh, I guess in Orlando, I mean, certainly not that far from Miami beach. Um, so he would like some introductions to the folks at Ford's Argo AI. So number one request, if you know anybody who can make an introduction to me or directly to Mr. David new through his organizations, please just do it. Secondly, uh, if anybody can help facilitate an introduction to John Kraftsick at Ray, at uh, Waymo, uh, that's also another new individual to whom David would like to be connected. So, there you have it. Any introductions to Ford, specifically the Argo.AI team currently testing in Florida, and or to John Kraftsick at Waymo, please, please, please let's get the introduction gears turning. Let's get Mr. David New uh, introduced to them because this is a person who absolutely must be connected with them for all the incredible, astounding work he is doing in this desperately needed mobility space. So uh, there you have it. Thanks so much for any help. Please feel free to shoot any introductions my way. And I will, of course, pass them along to David immediately. Thank you. And David... Thank you, sir, for everything that you're doing in this space. Uh, As the son, the only child of two parents in their 80s, uh, I am very personally, intimately familiar with and aware of the need for what you're doing. So uh, again, thank you so much for all this work. You're a deeply inspiring role model for all of us. By the way, I shared with you a lot of URLs for all of David's organizations. You can find the links to all of his organizations over on my website at markhoag.com. Just click on the article that corresponds to today's episode 76, and you'll find all the links in there in that article. Thanks. All right. So as you know, I like to engage listeners on the show, whether you write me in an email or reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter, or in this case, this particular listener, Les Teague, wrote me, uh, through my website at markhogue.com. It's a comment to, let's see, episode 74. It was the season two finale. So there's a few questions here. Um, we don't have time to go through all of them, but so let me just pick out a few in particular that I like, uh, in no particular order. Um, so I'm asked, in what order should the autonomous vehicles be introduced to the public? Personal vehicles with enhanced features, delivery vehicles, Uber-type vehicles, and shared vehicles. You know, how are these going to roll out, basically? And I'm sort of reading between the lines. I think also the question is when. Um, and then there's a second, admittedly slightly less related question, but I just want to address it very quickly because frankly, it's the it's the easier one to answer. Uh, he asks uh, a friend of his has a. New Cadillac, which has temperature sensing technology. Could this be used to detect pedestrians or animals? So I'm pretty sure, Les, that what your friend has is a new Cadillac. I think it's called the XTS or maybe the XT6. I'm sort of not up to speed on Cadillac's model designations. Sorry. Uh, but anyway, these are, th- this sounds very much to me like an infrared sensor. Uh, certain vehicles over the years have, you know, offered these as an upgraded option. Uh, BMW's done this. Mercedes have done this. Uh, in this case, Cadillac. They've done it too. I've tried a car with infrared, uh, visioning technology. Um, it's kind of neat. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it, uh, no, it's not the green predator looking vision that you see in movies or the military cams. No, this is the, this, I mean, it's the same technology, but this tends to be grayscale. So bright objects are, of course, hot and therefore probably alive, uh, especially if they're moving. Um, Darker objects tend to be, you know, the road or the or the trees. And so in this way, it kind of lets you pick out living creatures in an otherwise dark environment. So, you know, the, the question again is, could infrared technology basically assist autonomous cars? Well, the short answer is not really, because first of all, they tend to be pretty pricey bits of kit, number one. And number two, they're just not really necessary. If I'm not mistaken, first of all, their range is not all that great, um, and in any event they 're at least not as good as or alternatively they're redundant to the the value that you get from say lidar or radar sonar or in tesla 's case uh advanced camera vision they 're just not necessary I and mean, that 's the end of it um you, you just don 't need them the existing technology uh they They're just better, they are sufficient, and infrared is simply unnecessary. Um, Going back to the first question, you know, what's the order in which autonomous vehicles should be introduced, public, private, commercial, or otherwise? So this is a discussion that's, you know, it's come up quite a lot. Uh, In fact, just earlier today, I was on the phone with a gentleman in D.C., uh, and this, you know, we talked about this exact thing. Um, So, look, the honest, transparent answer is, I don't really know, and the reason I'm not sure is because there's a lot of ways this could play out, and part of it depends on our definition of what we mean when we say, you know, the technology rolling out, do we mean that it's technically available, even if it's not really mm, easy to get a, ha- uh, you know, t- to get a hold of, or do we mean actually practically kind of everywhere in society, or as I like to say, kind of using the Tesla metric or formerly the Prius metric, you know, when will they be kind of everywhere you look, are they going to, you know, when, when will they reach that sort of general commonality, like just like a normal thing you see around you everywhere, um yeah so I, i'm not really sure i think in terms of timeline as i've said numerous times uh i you know level 4 vehicles will be at least technically available if not practically so uh within the next 3 or you know 3 to 5 years at the most level 5 vehicles will be available in about the 5 to 10 year range at the very most again when i say available in this case i mean they will technically exist they will be a thing that that exists the question, though, is when will they be readily available? When will you kind of see them on the road all around you? Well, part of this depends on how they become available. You know, Initially, almost certainly, they will mostly be available only for car sharing and indeed commercial vehicles. Uh, and insofar as being available for private consumption, meaning you walk into a car dealership and you purchase them for private use... Well, that's going to kind of evolve rather more organically as sort of an extension for the current crop of uh, ADAS systems. ADAS, of course, stands for Autonomous Driver Assistance Systems, things like, um, you know, adaptive radar cruise control, uh, automatic emergency braking, that kind of thing. Mm you know, the lane-keep assist that you find in things like the Volvo XC90, the new BMW X5s, Mercedes, GLC, GLE, S-Class, etc., and, frankly, many, many other cars besides. They have lane-keep assist already, works pretty well in stop-and-go traffic on the freeway. We're going to basically see these evolve organically to the point where, eventually, they become effectively level 3 systems and, little by little, further down the road, uh, level 4 and beyond. Bear in mind, though, that the... That the, you know, reaching that sort of Tesla or Prius level of commonality on city streets, this ultimately depends on what we've discussed before, which is the replacement rate of vehicles. Again, Elon Musk conveniently did this math, albeit for electric vehicles, but as a parenthetical here, remember any company developing an autonomous vehicle today is also developing an electric vehicle and vice versa or as I like to say, any company not developing both autonomous electric vehicles will be dead or dying by 2030. So, so we did the math and it turns out that as a theoretical lower bound based on the total number of vehicles in the world and the total world's output of vehicle production, it would take something like 20 years if all vehicle production switched to hundred percent overnight. Obviously that's not going to happen. So if you extrapolate out from there, you're looking at something like probably, as I often say, let's say 20-ish years before you start to see level four and five vehicles kind of everywhere with the same commonality with which you see Teslas and Priuses everywhere. Um, And then you're looking at really kind of widespread uh, adoption in the 40 to 60-year range, and I'd say 80 years down the road, that – that's just the way things are going to be. That will be the norm. Human-driven cars will not be the norm 80 years down the road from now. Uh, Remember, as with all new technologies, uh, the uptake will be rather gradual at first, and it'll pick up pace at a faster and faster rate as people become more comfortable with, and indeed, uh, seeking them out more. So, as I like to say over and over again, I mean, can you imagine... um, when the first cell phones came out, if people were saying things like, oh, no, you know, I really don't think I want a, a, a cell phone, that digital thing, which maybe it can, I don't know, track me and it's maybe not so private and it's so complicated and confusing. I just don't really trust it. No, I'd much rather keep my, my rotary phone. Yeah, that, that's not the way it happened. And it's going to be the exact same thing with cars. Sure, maybe today, some of you, maybe even most of you are saying things like, oh, you know, I think I'd really like to drive my own car. Yeah, that's, that's not the way it's going to play out. So anyway, there you have it, uh, Les, thank you again so much for these questions to everyone else listening. Please do keep them coming again. I'm more than happy to engage you, uh, even directly on the show. Remember, if you happen to listen to this podcast on the anchor.fm platform where I record these podcasts, I know that most of you do not. I can see the stats. Most of you, almost all of you by far listen directly on iTunes or for that matter, Google play. But if you wanted to leave me a voicemail, you can do it on the anchor platform, I can actually embed your voicemail into a podcast episode and reply to you directly there if you'd like. Uh, But anyway, just sort of an FYI. Hey there, just a friendly reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to leave me five stars on iTunes and keep sharing it with your friends, family, and colleagues. Because remember, I'm not doing any sort of advertising. All growth for this podcast is completely organic, meaning it depends completely on you to share it. I found out at CES that the easiest way to do this is to just say to people what I say at the start of the podcast now, which is it's the number one result on Google for autonomous cars podcasts. All right. Thanks so much. All right, to close out today's episode, just a quick segment here since we're pretty short on time on micro mobility, specifically autonomous micro mobility. Now, if you don't know this term, it's because, uh, well, maybe you just not heard it, but certainly you're well aware of these shared scooters that have been popping up in cities all over the world. These electric scooters, they go by names like Lime and Bird. Uh, well, Uber and <clears throat> I believe Lyft also have announced they want to get in on it and they want to deploy their own. Um, fleet of Uber and Lyft branded scooters. But of course, being Uber anyway, and I think even Lyft, they've announced they want to do autonomous scooters. So rather than simply, I don't know, walking around aimlessly until you happen to find a scooter, or of course, using one of their mobile apps to help you locate such a scooter lying unused on some street corner. uh, Well, now you can just press a button and the scooter will autonomously ride itself to you. Now, before getting into discussion as to whether autonomous scooters are a good idea, if they even make sense, can I just say a thing? Um, This is a pretty amazing bit of sci-fi wizardry potentially coming to life in the near future. I mean, actually, I say that. I don't think I've ever seen any depiction in any science fiction film ever of a scooter autonomously getting itself from A to B. Okay, I guess unless you want to define a Transformer or even GoBots back in the day. Who remembers GoBots? Wasn't there a... Wasn't there a uh, a GoBot character that transformed into a scooter? Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was. Anyway, apart from that, I don't know of any such thing. And strictly speaking, those weren't autonomous. They were actual living uh, robots. A- anyway, whatever. The point is, this is a pretty cool thing, actually. Never mind the obvious jokes and jabs I've seen popping up everywhere. Things like, you know that everyone's going to want to knock them over. Because of course they are. How are they going to get up again? Never mind the fact that by virtue of being these autonomous scooters, it's going to have to be basically kitted out with all the same sorts of technologies, more or less anyway, to what an autonomous car has. So LiDAR, sensors, obviously gyros, since of course two wheels, not four. I mean, these are going to become hugely expensive things. Expensive things tend to break eventually. Expensive things that tend to break eventually also will be very expensive to repair, et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, how is this actually going to play out practically All right. Admittedly, I have no idea. But anyway, assuming that these problems can all be solved, I think it's a pretty cool thing to try and bring to the world. Anyway, let's carry on. So uh, the question that I found uh, on Twitter by some Twitterer, or maybe it's a Twitter. No, it's definitely Twitterer. Uh, He goes by the name of Pete Gould. It's at Pete underscore Gould. He writes, I hate to give this more attention, this meaning, uber rolling out its own fleet of autonomous scooters sort of sounds like me talking about the trolley paradox um but just for kicks it is fun to contemplate the regulatory issues of all this namely how would they be classified so how would the scooters themselves be classified when they're on the road but without human power i mean they're not a bike anymore so do they then become something like a vespa and require a licensed operator can it go in bike lanes So admittedly, I kind of misinterpreted the point of the question. Maybe it's just the lawyer in me, but I was really going towards legality and of of liability, as it were. And I kind of recorded a whole segment, which I then deleted because I was addressing the question of sort of where does legality fall or liability fall. Really, the question is simply, what do you call these things? And so without pulling up the actual code, going totally from memory here. So the difference between a scooter and, say, some sort of a motorbike is that a scooter has an actual platform. Uh, which is then motivated by two wheels and then is either propelled by human power, meaning you kick it along, or you, you uh, it's battery-operated uh, like an electric motorized scooter uh, that we're talking about here. Um, as opposed to a motorized scooter, which besides simply having a motor, it also has a proper seat that you sit on. So it turns out there's that distinction. Is there a platform you stand on or is there a seat? And it turns out that um, if you've got a platform that you stand on, well, then it's exempt from motorbike type regulations and restrictions. So, So really what the question is asking here is, You know, I I, I guess it's kind of there's an implicit assumption here, which says that if you're riding a scooter, then it's effectively like a bicycle, and so it's suggesting that if it's not being human operated, the word choice here is human power. I don't think that Pete means to reference the actual locomotive power source, but rather who's in control of the thing. So, so, what he's asking is, so if it's not human operated in other words, if it is in fact autonomously operated, then by definition, how can it still be considered a bicycle? Must it not, therefore be considered something like a Vespa and require a licensed operator, and therefore can it, in fact still go in bike lanes um I don't really see that logic flow at all. um I think that <clears throat> yeah surely if 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 it's a human controlled uh scooter of some sort then yeah of course we continue as we always were it's basically a bicycle and so on and so forth if it if there is no human operator on board if it is indeed autonomously getting itself from a to b where b is presumably a new future human operator uh yeah is it a bike or is it a is it essentially a motorized scooter um well based on the current definition of what a scooter is a platform to be stood upon rather than a th- than a than a two wheeled vehicle that you sit on on a, on a seat, I would say no, it's definitely still uh, a scooter, and therefore it's exempt from motorized motorbike regulations. It is still just a scooter i don't think there's anything in the definition i I would have to pull it up in front of me, but I don't think there's anything in the definition that suggests you know how it's motivated along as being the determining factor as to whether it 's a scooter. Uh, I think let's just keep things relatively simple um and to the point of simplicity. And to the point of the first version of the segment that I recorded and then deleted, realizing was sort of off point, but I will address now in brief, um, with respect to liability, look, this isn't uh, super complex in my mind. Uh, if you've got an autonomous scooter uh, scooting itself along to some new rider, and if it you know crashes into somebody and rides over somebody, uh, well, obviously liability must fall 100% on the owner of that scooter, namely the Uber or the Bird or Lyft or whomever actually owns it. Obviously, though, once the autonomous scooter reaches its future rider, who then takes control of the scooter, well, then obviously the rider is responsible for any negligence or intentional acts which caused harm or injury to anybody else. I don't really see this as being a really complicated thing. So um, there you have it. Uh, And on that bombshell, I'm going to end. All right. Well, that'll do it for today. Please don't forget, if you or anybody you know can make any introductions to some folks pretty high up at Ford's Argo.ai and or John kraftsick at waymo please reach out to me with those introductions either on linkedin email but don't don't do this over twitter obviously but yeah linkedin or email is the best way or alternatively if you like reach out to mr david new himself directly either way let's get those introductions rolling in so thanks very much for that and on that note that is a wrap for today thank you so much for listening i'll see you back here on friday bye bye